Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shiv Glani. Today we're turning our attention to nursing education and the critical role it plays in ensuring patients receive high quality care. With us to discuss current and future challenges and opportunities in nursing education is Dr. Katie Kay, a doctor of nursing practice and university dean for West Coast University College of Nursing, where she provides direct oversight of academic quality and delivery of pre-licensure through doctoral level nursing education. She brings many years of clinical experience in emergency medicine, trauma, and critical care to her leadership role. Dr. Kay is a member of the American Association for Critical Care Nurses, the National League of Nursing, the American Organization for Nursing Leadership, and she serves as the Executive Director for the Association of Psychiatric Mental Health Nurse Practitioners. And I got to know Katie when we were both on the ASU GSV panel a couple months ago, along with our COO, Derek Apanovich, and we had a wonderful discussion on the future of medical and nursing and health education in general. So Katie, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Of course, happy to be here. So obviously you have a really impressive track record. I've enjoyed seeing your career along the, the last few years of knowing you. But for our audience who may not know you yet, uh, do you mind giving us a bit of uh, more of your background and color as what got you first interested in healthcare and nursing? Well, initially I was really interested in becoming a physical therapist. So I started off down that path, but realized that it was going to be a, a several year journey and I wanted to get working in the healthcare environment uh, sooner rather than later. So I was fortunate to switch my career to nursing or my degree path to nursing and really have just been blessed with a great career where I've worked alongside some, some excellent clinicians and of course educators as well. My father, when I was in nursing school, had a heart attack, unfortunately, which is where I got my interest in going into cardiac ICU from my first uh, stop in my, my, my licensure career path and started off at the Metro Health Medical Center, which is where my grandfather worked as a physician for several years. So uh, cool. had some family ties for why I started off where I started off and then gradually progressed to leadership roles within that organization. And then I made the switch over to education. Yeah. And that's actually a very common theme we, we hear from nursing leaders and leaders in general we've had on the podcast. For example, we had Dr. Sheila Davis, who began her career as a, as a nursing infectious disease nurse at Mass General Hospital in the 80s during the HIV AIDS epidemic, and now runs Partners in Health, which, as you know, is oh, wow. the largest global health education or uh, health organization out there. So, you know, going into your own career and the twists and turns it's made, can you talk about a bit about like what attracted you to, to leadership opportunities, how you kind of developed those skills? There's obviously a lot of overlap between being a nurse and being a leader, and then and then finally moved into education as well, educational leadership. Yeah, I can't really pinpoint one thing that really led me to the leadership path other than I just um, was organically finding myself in the charge nurse position frequently. And I remember the advice of my dad was if you, you show up on time and you work hard and you support your team members, you're, you're going to go far. So I followed along with, with that type of mentality when I was working in the clinical setting and um, stepped into a management unit manager role about very early in my career. But it was a great move. And I, I learned 
a lot. And of course, now looking back with uh, different skills I've developed in leadership and management, I would have done certain things differently, but had the, the pleasure and experience to stay in that role for quite some time. And then I moved to a different role within this, the system, which was uh, management of our, our nursing staffing ops. So that was a great role because I was able to be exposed to all of our different inpatient units that really had a lot to do with throughput and ensuring patients were moving through the system uh, appropriately, timely, and getting the level of care that they needed. I, I had an experience where I uh, ran the Boston Marathon marathon in 2013 oh, cool. and uh, well it was the bad year oh that was the year oh yeah that was the year yeah. oh my goodness yeah how and was that I, it was crazy but um you know I, I was fortunate that our family everybody made it out okay and were able to finish the race and, and none of us were hurt which was which is the most important part but that is actually what triggered me to move into education uh, i wanted to be home more with my kids and and have a little bit more flexibility which i found that education is not <laughs> as flexible <laughs> as one might think but i started teaching and loved it i absolutely loved it i started as an adjunct professor teaching a uh, pathophysiology, um, and then slowly transitioned into a full-time role, a, a full-time faculty. And I didn't anticipate ever going back to leadership, to be honest, because I just loved what I was doing, loved working with students and making a difference in their lives on a day-to-day -day basis and getting to know them and, and what caused them to go down this nursing journey. But you know, things change and evolve and slowly I was taking on more and more leadership responsibilities at my organization at the time. And I found that this is really truly my niche. I'm able in a leadership role to make a difference at a broader level, impact more students, impact more faculty and colleagues, and hopefully make my small dent in the way we deliver nursing care and, and healthcare in general. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I loved about kind of getting to know you and the conversation we had at ASU GSV was how wearing the lens as a practicing nurse, which you've, you've had plenty of years of practice as a unit manager on the wards in, the, in, in nursing, and now a dean uh, and leader in education of nursing, how, you know, maybe you can help individually and also with your teams break down certain silos between how we train nurses or, or other healthcare providers and, and what they're expected to do in practice, especially in the post or uh, in a in a post-COVID, hopefully post-COVID world. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can go a bit, a, bit, a bit about your current role and then go back into nursing curriculum and, and the changes you'd recommend for that. But can you tell us a bit about West Coast University and kind of the depth and breadth of the nursing programs um, you oversee? Of course. So West Coast University has five pre-licensure nursing campuses. Three of those are in California. One is in Richardson, which is the Dallas area of Texas. And then the other one is, is Miami, Florida. Our our market is heavily pre-licensure nursing, but we also offer post-licensure nursing programs as well. So we have FNP, we have acute care, we have adult primary, we have psych mental health. And then we also have our MSN specialty tracks, which is our educator and leader track. Uh, additionally, we have offer the DNP, which is the doctor of nursing practice. So a degree for everyone, depending on where you are in your career trajectory, uh, one of our campuses also offers an ADN program as well. Um, so really just the full suite of, of nursing degree programs. Yeah. And, and do, uh, do you mind sharing? I mean, it's a very large institution. I mean, everyone's heard of Chamberlain and University of Phoenix uh, and, and probably West Coast University as well, because there's other healthcare uh, degrees it offers too. But maybe you can give us a sense of kind of the how many nurses 
if you know offhand, West Coast University has trained to date and or how many students you currently oversee as well as faculty? Sure. So from a student perspective, I think I just heard the number this morning that we have over 90,000 nursing wow. graduates. So that should uh, put incredible. into perspective, you know, how, how large our institution is. Uh, like I said, our, our primary market is California. We're working to grow our other campuses as well as our online programs as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. You guys operate in some of the, the highest need and largest states, obviously, Texas, California, and Florida. We had the pleasure very early on during the pandemic of having Donna Meyer, who's the, the head of ODIN, the Organization for Associates Degree Nursing. I think she's retired recently, who connects us to the California group. So really, really great nursing leaders across the board. Now, going into kind of your role running these programs or overseeing the people who run these programs too, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you have identified in nursing education and, and ways that we can maybe address those? I think, honestly, the past few years with the pandemic, it's no secret, is probably the biggest challenge. Predominantly, most institutions had to flip-flop a curriculum that was intended to be delivered in person, on ground, to online. Um, and the combination of our faculty having to learn that and flip that information and content in a way that was meaningful in a virtual environment, our students were also dealing with a lot of different variables. So they have their kids that are home from school. Um, perhaps they don't have childcare. Perhaps somebody in their family was experiencing a layoff. So I think the way that students were consuming information during the pandemic was almost information and priority overload, where they had so many different at-home priorities while they're trying to have school be in their home. And now that we're transitioning back to campus in a lot of places, I think that we have to be mindful that the that people's expectations or thoughts on learning have changed and integrate that into the way that we're teaching and delivering the curriculum as well. That in combination with what is happening in the healthcare systems we have to address some gaps in curriculums across the board that uh, really prepare individuals, nurses for what they're going to encounter in the health healthcare setting. So lots of work to be done there. And from that, I mean, you know, potentially is it, are we doing grit assessments on our students when they're enrolling in the program to know if they're going to intrinsically seek out resources or need to be motivated by other forces um, to help them connect with what they need um, during a, a really difficult degree path. Um, I also think that we need to do more resilience and wellness training within our curriculum so that students have coping measures and understand um, that they can take a break, can take a breath, and have healthcare systems really engage with other experts in the space to ensure that they have the resources for their staff to be able to do that. So uh, there's gaps both on the academic side and on the healthcare side is really where I'm going with this and how we work together to bridge those gaps, I think is really going to be key. Yeah, I love how you're thinking about that as well, because, you know, two of our previous guests on this podcast, one is BJ Fogg, who runs Stanford's Behavioral Design Lab, and he wrote the book, uh, Tiny Habits. Uh, we had him on a couple of months ago, and one of the coolest studies he, he's done, along with his sister and others and his team, is going into nursing units and helping implement these, uh, helping these nurses implement the tiny habits of, of norming 
taking breaks and and actually taking care of themselves first before the patients so that they you know hopefully don't don't burn out or have the moral injury as much obviously there's a whole host of systemic issues that we can get into about shifts how they're set up and you already got into that at the ASU GSV talk mm-hmm. about travel nursing versus you know staff nursing so we'll we'll definitely talk about that but the second is we also had Ariana Huffington, as you know, on the podcast and with her and Thrive Global and the Johnson & Johnson Foundation, we created a whole course, continuing education accredited course on nursing resilience. But again, I think one fault of that is that it's very much re-putting the burden on the student or the healthcare professional to kind of take care of themselves when like the system itself is is fairly broken. So maybe, maybe we can go into the system because sure. I thought you had some really insightful comments from your days running uh, these nursing units related to burnout or moral injury related to the the, the the shift work that we expect of nurses and the travel nursing. So maybe can you identify a couple of those and, and what your thoughts are on how we should train, change the practice of nursing to to lead to less shortages or less burnout as well? So there's, there are several different things, but I think if you look at the organizations that fared well during the pandemic from a retention standpoint, it was they were doing the little things that mattered. So um, small acts of appreciation actually go a long way. It doesn't necessarily all tie to financials. And that's what you'd see some with the, the travel industry as they were hopping from place to place, burning out in some instances in those, in those contracts. But, you know, it was they weren't aligning with a, a particular system because they weren't necessarily feeling those small acts of appreciation. And then on the flip side, I've heard of nurses that have picked up travel contracts that loved where they started and uh, ended up staying at that institution. So it's looking at what are those systems doing that's working and, and kind of modeling out from there. I do think that there's some challenges with the current way that we staff and schedule. The first thing I would say that we would need to look at is vacation, time off, are we actually giving our nurses the time off that they accumulate during the course of the year? And how are we treating them on their time off? Because I know in a lot of instances, if units are short staffed, they're going through a list and calling every single person that was off that day. And that's not a really a great way to have your staff really disengage with work and recharge. So even rethinking some of those things that we're doing from um, an outreach perspective to meet our staffing needs. a big thing that I think is going to take a really long time to to look at and, and figure out and solution for, I guess I should say, is how we treat or view nursing as an operational expense versus a billable service. So nurses are providing care, but they're viewed as, as operational. So it's a cost to the to the healthcare system. Instead of looking at it as how are these nurses really preventing infections in the hospital? How are they ensuring optimal outcomes? How are they discharging their patients to make sure they're not readmitted in 30 days? And then how are healthcare systems monetized for that? And how are how is the nursing profession um, paid in that type of model? That's not just that expense drain on the system. Uh, because when you have that thought process or you're looking at it from that lens, you're always is going to look to cut corners and staffing or or what we would say is optimized staffing to, to ensure that uh, we're we're meeting our budget needs you know covid was hard on a lot of healthcare systems a lot of healthcare systems lost lots and lots of money um, and are trying to to rally from that particularly too with with the expense from travel nurses so looking at a longer term plan of how insurance companies or third party payers are viewing nursing 
hours billable services, I think is a potential area that we need to explore. Uh, you know, the other thing too is how we integrate technology. So if we're integrating technology in a healthcare system, it has to be helping the workflow of the nurse or the clinician that's using that technology. If it's more burdensome or adds another step, it's just not going to take off. It's not going to work and it's not meeting the really the needs that we have. Um, implemented it for you know and there, there's some systems that are doing this in a, in a great way so they're utilizing nurses that may be towards the end of their career or they don't want to necessarily be in inpatient anymore but they're using ipads for discharge teaching so they can connect those patients with a nurse that is qualified to deliver that teaching experience for that individual. Uh, maybe that person prefers that technology touch point for that type of instruction uh, and frees up the other nurses on that unit to do uh, other care delivery needs uh, that, that acquire, acquire more clinical time and, and effort. Yeah, and that, that gets to the scope of practice, which is, are mm -hmm. we taking the people, helping them practice at the top of their scope yes. of practice and the, the competence that they have, which is why it's been really interesting to see kind of the, the development of new professions, not just within nursing, but within like even dentistry. Yesterday on, on the podcast, we had uh, the head of the Dental Assisting National Boards and the Dental Hygiene, uh, American Dental Hygienist Association, talking about all this stuff happening in dentistry in terms of scope of practice. We wanted to talk about you know, that famous Wayne Gretzky quote, which is, don't skate where the puck is, skate where the puck is going. You know, Elsevier recently released this report called The Clinician of the Future, which is, you know, what is healthcare going to look like in 10, 20, 30 years, especially catalyzed by the pandemic? And how should we be training medical, nursing, PA, and other health professional students now for that future? My colleague who runs the nursing division at Elsevier, Brent Gordon, talks a lot about this, writes a lot about this, and we've had some discussions around it. But given that you run a nursing, large nursing program, I'm curious, what are some like specific curricular changes you think should be implemented and or you're interested in implementing that'll help our nurses of the future, whether it's the telehealth, uh, which is here to stay, digital health, patient engagement, diversity, equity, and inclusion. There are all these trends that we know about that, that are probably here to stay. Value-based medicine, home health care, CVS just bought Signify, as you saw, the list could go on. Well, you called out so many uh, that I was looking to say diversity, equity, and inclusion. I think it has to be in, in every course that we teach and has to be a part of everything that we do. If you look at uh, what the pandemic has done the past three years, really disenfranchised those that were already in trouble and tying that in to telehealth and telemedicine, you know, look at the, the socioeconomic statuses of those that can access telemedicine or telehealth might be very different from those that, that uh, we're serving. So I think it's, it's understanding those limitations that the pandemic has caused, understanding that we're probably going to see a greater surge in chronic health illnesses because of the pandemic, understanding that we're probably going to have more problems with the opioid epidemic or alcohol abuse and, and depression related to the past few years and how people handled that. I also want to emphasize that, you know, there's been a lot of disruption with the way that telemedicine has become more and more available to consumers. So, you know, if you look, if you think about it, we're one of the only countries 
I think maybe the only country where pharmaceutical companies can do direct targeting to the consumer. And that's now pretty much the same thing we're seeing with some of our, our tele, telemedicine companies. It's if you need birth control, just call here, click these um, survey and we'll mail it to you. So some of those trends are actually concerning to me too, that patients are or consumers are able to just reach out and get exactly what they think they need without really being connected to the the right provider or clinician to deliver the, the care that they actually uh, really need. So those are all trends that I think we need to be aware of and teaching both at the pre-licensure nursing curriculum level as well as post um, for our uh, nurse practitioners in particular that will be working in virtual environments uh, to be aware of, of what practice guidelines we still need to have in place, including things like judicious antibiotic, prescriptions and those types of things. The other really big thing I think that we need to look at as academic leaders and how we're teaching our nursing students is how to really be an effective team leader. I know I've talked about this before at the ASU GSB Summit as well, but uh, we teach a lot of delegation in our nursing curriculum. But really, when you look at the way healthcare systems and teams work, it's it's really all about the healthcare team with the individual patient being the center of that team. So how to optimize those relationships, how to get things done collectively, how to get buy-in from the individual members of your group that you're either working with or leading, I think is a lot different than how we're teaching delegation and a gap that we really need to close, particularly with the staffing challenges that a lot of institutions are facing. That Those are really great points. And just to respond to two of those, as far as team-based care and interprofessional education or, or patient-centric um, care as well, you know, one, one thing that was mentioned yesterday was how some dental schools are uh, asking their dentists to go through dental assistant training first. So they're kind of putting future dentist in the shoes of the dental assistant in medicine, same thing with scribing and or EMT, uh, EMS type services. So they have a better understanding of that profession because they've kind of lived part of the curriculum or, or, or lived the actual practice of it. I think that's really, really an insightful point as we have to go to more value-based and team-based care. And the second is, you know, I think in general, we're happy with the consumerization of healthcare where patients are getting more engaged. They're wearing Fitbits and Apple watches and mm -hmm. they're looking at their ECG or making behavior change from that. However, you're right. There's definitely some, um, some cause for concern. We had a uh, cerebral on, on the podcast a couple of months ago and they're, they're right now in hot water because, you know, they were doing a lot of potentially it's, uh, you know, oversubscribing of over, over prescribing of ADHD medications and things like that. So there's always that sort of, where do you draw the line? Because, you know, information in the hands of some patients leads to behavior change, leads to preventive medicine. Information in the hands of other patients leads to tremendous anxiety and, and overuse of medications and, and, and uh, non-value medicine. So it's like, how do you do the distribution and the net-net the uh, on that is a, is a really more of an art than a science, it seems. It is, and that all goes back to health literacy too, and how our clinicians, whether they be nurses, nurse practitioners, nurse educators, nurse leaders are promoting that type of connection with their provider. Uh, I like what you said. Yeah, it's, it's great that we have all this technology to optimize our healthcare. And now let's just parlay that into a great relationship with their provider, their primary care provider, and use that technology to keep them connected to the care that they're receiving. So you know, there's a lot of great telemedicine 
organizations out there that are connecting those dots back to their individual primary care provider, which I think is important. Um, because then that primary care provider can go back to the patient and say like, what happened? You got antibiotics twice this past six months for strep and I haven't seen you or you know, something just similar to that. Um, effect, I think, makes a big a big difference. And we can use technology at our healthcare systems to engage our patients in the same way that some of these uh, disruptors, I would say, are doing. And I will say healthcare needs to be disrupted. There's just so much work to be done. I say that all the time. I drive everybody crazy, but there's so much work to be done. So uh, I like that we're thinking about doing things differently. It's just let's not lose sight on quality and let's make sure that we're uh, preparing our, our providers and our nurses for what they're going to be encountering and what those expectations of those consumers are going to be. Absolutely. And so speaking of preparation, you know, as you know, Osmosis is a teaching company. We develop all this content with and for partners like 23andMe, direct-to-consumer genetics testing, all the way to the CDC on infectious disease education. If you could snap your fingers and have Osmosis make one video or one course on any topic, whether it's for nurses or the general public or some other stakeholder, what would it be and why? Well, I think that there's two ways I would look at this. The first way, if I could do something for my students, snap my fingers, it would be some sort of resilience and grit training that they could have um, bite-sized content for, for that as they move through their curriculum, like maybe just continuing to build the, upon the skills that they have as they start in their nursing program. And then by the end of the program, they're really feeling empowered to also help others that are starting their beginning journey as a nurse. But I also would love to see content for our faculty and colleagues too. I think you know that really is important for them to be feeling equipped, mindful, present, and centered with everything that we have. That everything that's just flipped upside down the past few years. I want to make sure that they feel that same level of resilience and minimize the burnout that they're experiencing as well too. So I think the way that they would be tailored would have to be a little bit different because. The faculty really need to ground themselves, center themselves to give back to the students that they're serving. And then the student population is really gearing up to be engaged and embedded in that content as they progress through their curriculum. Yeah, no, I love that. That's definitely definitely something we can invest more in and we'd love to continue that conversation. One thing as a sneak peek for our learners and, and, and for you, if you may not know, you mentioned appreciation for practicing nurses and some health systems have done this a lot better than others. I think some schools do this a lot better with their faculty than, than other institutions across the board. One of my favorite initiatives led by one of our teammates at Osmosis, Lindsay Smith, it's called the Raised Line Faculty Awards. And so this is the second year we're doing it after the pandemic, where we're going to be basically awarding uh, money and other prizes to some of the best faculty of medicine, nursing, PA, librarians, diversity, equity, inclusion offices, et cetera, around the world to express their appreciation to the people, the people who work for you, the people who, who serve the students at your institution, who day in, day out are training the next generation of healthcare providers. And in many cases, they take pay cuts to do this, right? You can earn more right. as a practicing nurse than a nurse educator generally. And that's why we see a nursing education shortage. So really excited about that and to hear that that's that's an area of interest of yours. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, it's the faculty make it all happen, right? So it's it's the, the content is there. We know the content is built into our curriculum, but they're the ones that make it come to life. And they're the ones that relate the experiences or the information to practice and what they've seen in their tenure or their profession. So um, they're, they're the ones that need all the credit in my mind. 
Totally. It's, it's wonderful. So uh, I know we're coming up on time. So my last question for you is, you know, you have so many students at West Coast and, and you've trained so many students directly as a, as a, as a nurse educator and, man, and unit manager. What advice would you give to them about meeting their careers in, in nursing or in healthcare in general? I would say just never forget how important the work is that you're doing. And I, I think if you always remember with with healthcare and the, the individual patients and families that we're caring from, never lose sight of that and never lose your passion for caring for others. Um, this is a, not an easy profession. It's actually one of the hardest professions I feel that's out there. And it, it, you, you can't lose sight of how important it is, despite some of the chaos that happens in the day-to-day. Those are some wise words to end on. And, you know, with that, um, Katie, we really appreciate everything that you've done, well, the time you spent with us today on the Raise Line podcast, but more importantly, the actual work that you do wearing many different hats to raise the line and improve our healthcare system. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And with that, I'm Shafiq Glani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org/raisethelinepodcast. podcast.